0: Greetings, Internet. Mike and Andy here from the uh, the frigid headquarters of the Vox podcast. Andy's actually in uh, in California, but I am here in the great state of Ohio, and um, it is it is frigid. Andy, it is uh, the it is the high the high temperature today is twenty nine. So so I finally I finally met a met a temperature that my flip flops although i wore them out to take uh to take Hannah to school this morning i was in shorts flip-flops and a sweatshirt <laughs> and and i will say for the first time in a long time my feet were cold yeah um yep i know i know so so it's wearing me down it's wearing me down andy it's supposed to be fall feels like winter <laughs> not acceptable um andy i thought you know you did this really nice thing for me um uh, and and I remember it specifically because it so rarely happens, but <laughs> but you you set up this Google Doc form that automatically populates when people email in questions to the Vox podcast. Correct. You remember that? Oh yeah. And you did that in August. Yes. And I checked it for the first time <laughs> about three days ago, <laughs> while recording in November. And, and I just forgot—I forgot that you had done that, yeah. and you put it on Chrome. And so I rarely use Chrome. Blah blah. blah. So, uh, so to say, we're a bit behind. Uh, on our on our questions is an understatement. So we thought we'd do another Q and A episode uh, to, ch- to to just try to at least symbolically attempt uh, to catch up to what we've got. So so we're gonna keep this one short and sweet. We are so grateful for the questions you give us. I will email you back that we answered your question. Uh, or, or at least discuss your question. I don't know how well we'll answer it. And, and again, we're not—we don't consider ourselves, especially Andy, especially. Uh, the, <laughs> the the Bible answer men or anything. But um, we, we do think it's super important to make it safe to ask questions. So, any any time we can engage with these things, we don't particularly think we're all that smart. It's more—it's more just the kind of environment that I didn't grow up in, and many of us did not grow up in where it was okay. Uh, to ask really hard questions. So uh, we're not, you know, so disclaimers aside, here's number one. Hi, Mike and Andy. Thank you for what you guys do. You're welcome. I find it very helpful. I'm so glad. Question time. Both Psalm 131 um, and Jeremiah 1 say that God formed us in the womb. Uh, Psalm one thirty one is the Psalm of David, where he talks about knowing us. He knows my thoughts before I arise. He knows, um, he knows my life story ahead of time. He, you know, he's from the east and the west. It's this beautiful, beautiful reflection in Jeremiah. It's reflecting in Jeremiah one about his his call as a uh, a prophet, and said that that the Lord anointed him in the womb. Um, so so both Psalm 139 Jeremiah 1 say that God forms us in the womb, which I've heard people use as an argument for birth defects being God's will. I personally don't believe that or align with a the Calvinist theology, but I wanted to hear your takes on what the scriptures are saying. Does God literally form every child in the womb exactly how he wants them? Uh are these verses metaphors for how God knows us? Something else? Mm-hmm. Mike, I know you've spoken briefly about how people have told you that it was uh, God's will that Seth would have sound syndrome, so I think it would be particularly interesting and powerful to hear your thoughts. Thanks. P.S. I also play with Phil Wickham, and I think ho- hockey is all right. <laughs> so, first of all, oh, had good. I read that last part, I would not have included the question. Hence why it was last. Um, he knows how this, show's, this show goes. <laughs> exactly. So so, uh, yeah. When when uh, so so, both of us have children with Down syndrome. If you're a new listener, um, uh, and uh, we found out three months ahead of time that our Seth uh, had Down syndrome, it was, he either he either had trisomy twenty one, which is Down syndrome, or he had trisomy eighteen, mm. um, which means life his life would not be viable outside the womb. And uh, in either instance, we were unprepared and, um, and we were certainly very anxious, fearful, upset, sad. Um, but but uh, one of my dear friends a- at the time said, hey, isn't it great to know that God trusts you with a kid like this? And it must be great comfort to know that God assigned you, know, you a kid like this. And I'm like, uh, no, actually, it's great comfort to know that uh, God uh, redeems Mm-hmm. Um, but that God did not create Seth with Down syndrome, um, nor would he have created Seth with trisomy 18. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't think God's will is genetic abnormalities, hence the term abnormalities. I think God's will in Genesis 1 uh, and 2 clearly is uh, typical functioning, uh, norm, you know, kind of normal human persons um uh however uh what i think has happened and and i think this is is well attested to in the scriptures is that 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 uh bloodlines have been polluted sin and death have entered the world disease is now a thing dna degrades i think all of those things were not true prior to the entrance of sin and death in the world and so we retain of course our image bearingness but um, now suffer a whole array, uh, anything from cancer to birth defects, uh, because we now live in a fallen world. I do not think that God's will is, uh, because the second question, which is, I didn't even realize this, the second question is about a little little boy that died um, on triso- with trisomy 18. And so if you want to say that God literally formed um, that child to die, I I see no redemptive purpose in that whatsoever. Or if, if, you know, people have said, um, uh, to me, you know, hey, this, he'll really teach you, God will use him to teach him a lot, teach you a lot of things. And I'm like, absolutely. But that's not why Seth's here. Seth's here uh, because uh, g- genetic abnormalities are part of fo- human fallen DNA. And God uh, obviously loves, um, we adore him. We wouldn't change him. We wouldn't trade him in. Uh, we love him exactly as it is. It's a its a fantastic question about whether or not we'll have Down syndrome, uh, in the new heavens and new earth, um, but but I, I, I totally agree with you, young man. When you ask about uh, these verses being used for. Uh, theology that says that uh, birth defects or holes in your heart when you're born or whatever, that those things are exactly what God did. Man, I, I I refer you back to several podcasts about whether or not God causes evil to just simply say, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So when, when, when the psalmist talks about being woven together in the mother's womb, I think that is a beautiful poetic image for not only how well God knows us but how intimately he was, is, is involved in human personhood, that um, that the development of human persons, yes, is a natural process that he created and has blessed, but also Uh, that process over, you know, the course of nine months, there is a weaving together. It is a beautiful sort of thing that God knows. And and, and the picture is that God knows us that intimately. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Even, you know, even Jeremiah 1 says, you know, before you were born, I formed you and I knew you. And so so I don't think you can say, particularly in light of other texts that seem to say that... um, that uh, not everything that happens on the earth is God's will. I don't think you can derive a theology that says that that birth effects are God's will from hmm. two highly poetic instances that I think more convey the idea that uh, we are intimately known hmm. um, from the insides out. Uh, and when you read the when you read Psalm 139, it's full of, it's full of that sort of language. It's beautiful. It's about how, how intimately we're known. It's not about, it's not a theology of childbirth. Now, the flip side of this, it comes to uh, comes to the discussion we've had on abortion, where um, where I do think there's something sacred about what's happening in there, absolutely, and, and I think the 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 fetus has a has a status before God of something more than just a clump of cells. Um and so so I think there's there's something to when people use those arguments to say, yeah, there's something unique about what's happening in there. Absolutely. Absolutely. But what I don't think you can draw from that is that God intended and and designs each kid the exact way he wants them to be.
1: Hmm. What do you think? Yeah. <laughs> what do I think? Um I think uh it's the opposite. You're wrong. No. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. No, Perfect. that's it's that's, that's what's what I was thinking about. At the end, what you're talking about that, is that like what you said about, you know, have God n- knew us and formed us prior to us actually entering the room, the womb. I, it, I just had all these other I- ideas of just thinking how it's like, well, think about Jesus, how God would, you know, know him as like the full spiritual son and then having to enter into flesh, you know, it's kind of like there's a full knowledge, and then that soul has to then become a vessel through the formation of that flesh. Ultimately, ending up as right. as the humans and the people that we know. And, so, and I
0: think that's and that's the view that's being represented here: that God has all these souls, yeah. and He designs bodies for them, yeah. You know, it, because even even some some old Mormon theology, you know, that that uh, rebellious angels were put into black. You know, mm. bodies. Mm. um, You know, the, obviously they disavow that That's now, rough. but but yeah. that was back in the day. But the picture is that they're just they've got this whole collection of Down syndrome kids up in the heavens, and God yeah. is just looking for parents who'd be really good parents. And I'm like, where yeah. where the heck do yeah. you get that no. idea? I mean, where does it even hint yeah. at something like that? You know? No, right, right,
1: right. Yeah, it's 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 rather like I I see it as opposite. It's like no sunflower has a perfected soul among God. And she came into this world and has to occupy this vessel, but the redemptive value here on earth and both the eternal redemptive value of, of ultimately once she's in heaven and I will know her in the fullness of her soul and the fullness of her ability to be known in that time, you know, so I don't, it's, it is, it is a little tricky for me only because it's like, why, why then? I don't know. I I can't, I'm not going to answer anything. I'm just, I think I'm, I'm still a little stuck on a little bit of that. Like, I just not—I'm not, not going to advocate. Oh, it was God's will that she is this way, but at the same time, I'm—I'm I'm trying to get my head to separate. It's still the questions like, why? Why would he? But if she was perfect before, why would? Why would she have to come to this earth in that form? Obviously, it's a sinful and fallen world. So. But
0: but hold on. But what, what do you mean perfect before?
1: Well, no, the way that God was saying, like how I knew you and formed you before, you know, like before you're even in the womb, and what it said in Jeremiah.
0: So I'm it just. Is, it, no, 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 no. But while you were in the womb, okay. So all right. uh, I said just, I just that wrong. Well, no, I mean, I like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's uh, enough warrant for the view that says she's some perfected soul somewhere, and right. she just gets stuck in a Down syndrome body because of bad luck. Right,
1: right. Yeah, I don't think there's enough for that either.
0: Either. Yeah, I agree with that. So because cool. because if you say so to the first question, if you say yeah, yeah, it's God's will. Then you have to answer the second question exactly the same way. Right. So here's the second question My son died almost a year ago, exactly. He was born on my birthday, August 23rd, and died eight days later on August 31st. He was, a bo- he was born with a g- fatal genetic disorder called trisomy 18. We got his diagnosis earlier in my pregnancy, and we spent it preparing for his death. I can't even imagine what that was like. Mm. Uh, we held him as he died, and I watched the life leave his eyes. Something like that stays with a person etched into the walls of their heart. I've been trying to find material, books to help me navigate how God fits into this. The religious grief books I've tried to read all have the same tone of, I was so broken, but I never gave up on God, or Hmm. I knew God would save me as long as I opened my heart to him. Hmm. Well, I didn't once pray in the NICU, not once. God created my son to die. That wasn't someone I wanted to talk to. And even though I didn't pray, I still walked out of the hospital on my own two feet. I still managed to take care of my older son. I worked through dark times in my marriage to keep it healthy. I grieve and my heart aches every day, but I'm not broken and selling crack on the corner because I haven't prayed to God. Where does God fit into this? I haven't found anything or any material that gives a realistic portrayal of grief. I want to be spiritually healthy and have a relationship with God, but right now I'm wondering why I need him at all. Mm. Dang. Right. So I had no idea those two questions would be juxtaposed. Yeah. But if you answer to the first one, yeah, yeah, he forms, he knits together, then you have to say, absolutely, question number two person, I'm sorry to say it, but yes, he created your child to die. And uh, this was for His glory. This is to, to either teach you something, or some way God will be glorified in the NICU, or something. Yeah. You know, maybe through your witness of handling it. Maybe there's some bigger purpose to it. I mean, that's really what you've got to say.
1: Right. Or,
0: uh, or you have to say, which is what you know. I think we we just spent some time saying. Yeah. Is that no? God did not create your son to die. Yeah. And so you can, you can talk to him. Where is God in this? Well, God is weeping with you. I mean, this wasn't God's will. God's will wasn't for you to experience nine months of joy. Um, only, well, and it wasn't even full nine months for you because you found out early in the pregnancy, this was going to be the issue. So literally this was not God torturing you. This was not God trying to give you some spiritual blessing, quote unquote, um, you know, through devastating circumstances, uh, God is with you. Um, I mean, we, uh, I don't know how to avoid cliches at this point. So if we were talking, um, you know, over coffee or, you know, well, not coffee for me, but if we were talking over some sort of beverage, um, you know, I would be sitting there just saying, I'm so sorry. You know, this wasn't your fault. This was not something that, that God was doing to teach you a lesson. This was not, you didn't do this. You're not responsible for this. But God isn't either. And that's the picture the Bible paints again and again is of a, of a war zone of, of, of cosmic conflict and and that conflict spills over uh, into the realm of human persons we not only are subjects to the conflict conflict <laughs> but we are hello conflict um, but we are also propagators of uh, the conflict as well right mm-hmm. we are we're naturally born into the the kingdom of darkness and blah 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 and so I think, I think the scriptures paint a picture where like you know Jesus comes across a man born blind and the disciples say to Jesus, well, who was born blind? You know, this man or his parents, um, or excuse me, uh, who, who sinned? That's the better way to say this. Who sinned this man or his parents, that this man was born blind. They thought at the time, of course, that, um, that any disability would, could be traced back to the sin of the, uh, the family line somewhere, either the sin of the person or the sin of the person's parents. And Jesus says, neither. This happens so that God might display His work. Now, what God, what Jesus is saying there is that God didn't do this so that God would work. No, no, no. It's that God will work in this and through this. Mm-hmm. And so, so, uh, young lady, I, if we were sitting here talking, I would just, I would grieve with you. I would lament with you. I remember what we felt when this was even a possibility for our son. Um, and the devastation and the finality of that of that diagnosis, I, I just can't even imagine the trauma you've been, th- been through. And I don't imagine that God's up there puzzled about why you wouldn't talk to him if you thought he was the author of this. I just want to open you up to the possibility that he did not create your son to die, and that he weeps with you, um, that He has shown you uh, grace and strengthened your spirit, regardless of whether or not you have prayed, and so that you ca- you have been able to walk a year in this grief. Um, I-, I would I would encourage you to open your heart to God that ha- you that uh, ask Him to show you His heart for you and and His heart for your son um, because because uh, correct. Quite frankly, you can take my word for it, or I think it'd be far more powerful if you experienced it from God himself. So I, I think God is with you. I think God is for you. I think God uh, blesses you. Um, and can bring beauty out of the out of the ashes of this, but man, I don't think God is the author of it. I mean, we, we say this all the time. I think the scriptures teach that God is good, that evil is evil, and that God will bring good out of evil. But He is never the author of it. Yeah. He does not need evil to accomplish His plans in the world. And so, um, I'm so sorry. I think I think. Um, I would, I would. If we were sitting here talking, I would recommend you find um, someone you can process this with the God piece specifically, um, uh, because I, I just think that that the view of Him that has Him as the author of something like this, um, no wonder, no wonder you haven't prayed. You know, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd have that same, I'd have those same issues too. If if you believe that God just did this to you. Anything you want to add, Andy Bear? No. To no, accept no. disagreement. <laughs> no,
1: that's no, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. So Yeah. <laughs> no,
0: I'm right. No, and that's I
1: mean I'm hearing that correctly now before I I heard it a little strange and that's why it kind of threw me off. But nope. Gotcha on that one. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. So
0: so I mean, there's so much more to say. And mm-hmm. and again, I mean part of this is why we do other podcasts on, you know, extended conversations on some of these topics because um we can refer back to them. So if, if you've listened to us for a while uh, and missed those episodes, maybe that'd be, be good for further discussion. Or email us back, and we'd love to hear hear more about how, how you're doing. Um, hi, Mike and Andy. I so appreciate your podcast and you, Mike, as a teacher... Hmm. I have been following Jesus my whole life, uh, but have learned so much about the original purpose and context of the Bible, and as a result, about God from you guys. I do have a question on this issue. You have talked a lot, both in this podcast and on the Vox Community podcast, about the need to study the original context, background, and purpose of the scripture as you read it. I agree that this is important, that there is so much that we can learn by doing this, and that this is so necessary to pull us away from the danger of interpreting scripture with Quote, Western Eyes, which is the name of a book I've recommended before. However, I recently heard someone say that the Bible is for everyone, meaning that anyone can understand it, no matter what their background, education level, access to good teaching, etc. What do you. Um uh, what do you say to this? I agree with your view about the need to study the original context, but what about the person maybe in a third world country with no education, no ability to do this kind of study? Would God really make his word to be something that you have to have an education and access to study materials to understand? Mm-hmm. What a phenomenal question. In fact, this is so funny. So we're we're trying to get connected in Columbus. We went to a small group, uh, a couple of... Um, couple of weeks ago and uh, the leader of the small group asked me to teach a little bit on um, on hell and so I taught it and this was the objection it, it was like listen you can go into Greek you can go into whatever but listen man when I read it in English you know this is what it says and and I'm like okay so this is got kind of even a relevant question for us because then we went into exactly this discussion uh, in light of that question. so so let me briefly answer the question and then maybe explain a little bit. first, I think the scripture the main message of the Bible is clear and open to anyone um regardless of education level absolutely i mean anyone even a child can understand for god so loved the world he gave his one and only son that whoever um believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life right Mm -hmm. um you know it's pretty clear you can the the good samaritan um uh you know a lot of jesus's teaching is just very straightforward a lot of it a lot of it is parabolic um and sometimes you know needs a bit of interpreting but my point uh, is that anybody could pick up the Bible, read it, and benefit. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. This was a doctrine called the perspicuity of the Scriptures. Uh, that that anyone could read it. Right. The, one of the huge things of the Reformation was the getting the Bible in the hands of common, ordinary folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so absolutely, absolutely. And God's spirit, you know, superintends, um, you know, over us and illuminates the scriptures. And no, no question about that. While at the same time, however, you can spend your whole life studying the scriptures and never reach the bottom. Yeah. And so, so it's kind of like saying, it's kind of like God, God himself, um, is God obvious? Well, yes and no. I mean, on the one hand, you know, you watch the world through the eyes of a child and the amazement of snow, the the power of thunder, the beauty of rain, the sound of wind. I mean, you're just kind of like, oh man, something's behind all this, right? It's kind of obvious. But on the other hand, um, you realize there are all of these minute discussions that go, you know burrow down into the bedrock of human experience of the world and human experience of human experience. <laughs> and you can have all these deep conversations about the nature of the soul and consciousness and whatever, about whether or not God exists. So does God is God's existence obvious? Well, yes and no. Uh, is the Bible clear? Well, yes and no. I mean, Peter at the end of i think it's first peter talks about how paul, paul some of paul's teaching is actually difficult to understand and because of that some people have twisted it and distorted it so even in the very clear bible you have paul or excuse me peter saying that some of paul's teaching is really really difficult <laughs> yeah so yeah. so on the one hand think about who made up the early church right it wasn't scholars it wasn't it wasn't um It wasn't the best, the brightest, and the beautiful. You know, it was the common person. It was slaves. It was laborers. It was peasants. Uh, But on the other hand... Um, you know, th- like like some of the the Bible is written in incredibly um, literate Greek. Some of it's written in really rough Greek, maybe translated from another language. Uh, you know, in the meantime, um, uh, Jesus is is wonderfully clear in some places, and he's really obscure in some other places. Um, so, so my point is, I don't think you have to choose. I just think to who much is given much is expected mm. and mm. for those of us who have you know that thanks to this the community of scholars in the Western world and in the Eastern world we have access to documents uh, linguistic analysis cultural background that 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 for 2,000 years people haven't had right. and that allow us that allow us to dive deep into some of these things but, um, never, never, never should the Bible be the province of the scholars or the teachers, right? Because... Yeah. Uh, so, so, so the answer is you hold both intention on the one hand, the main message of the Bible is absolutely clear on the other, there are some doctrinal things that are very, very confusing that diving deep into them, uh, makes, you know, it's like, like going to Israel. Um, when, uh, when my wife and I went to Israel, the analogy we use was like, you go from seeing the words in black and white to now seeing color. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't have to go to Israel to understand the Bible, but when you go to Israel, you understand the Bible a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same way with all this background. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the reasons why we have you know, 30,000 denominations, and one of the reasons why we, <clears throat> we have all of the, the fights that we have is because there, there, there are folks in the church that are very anti-scholarship, folks in the church that are almost exclusively aimed towards scholarship. And there's no real agreement on uh the role that scholarship should play in the church and so um you know my view is if you pick up an english bible you've already benefited from the work of untold scholars who made theological and interpretive decisions before you even opened the pages yeah and so that's why you know so so my my point my point i've over made it dramatically because i have that spiritual gift my point of course uh, is, is I don't think it's one or the other. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I hear that. And I think what I'm hearing, too, is to me it also feels like there's something kind of behind that question as well because I think it's – I think for whatever reason – as as followers and people in churches we're left with this decision to judge the fruit of those who's teaching, you know And so it's kind of Ooh, that's, that's good So it, it it's like you kind of have to look at if, if you're in some position where you're trying to make a decision It's important to take in a lot of context. So yeah, if you're in a third-world country and you're meeting folks who are hearing the Bible for the first time You know, you're not gonna start You know, you're not gonna start right. in Revelation, you know, it's so it's like it's kind of realizing that there's a digestive process in which we kind of receive that information so that it can actually be clear and make sense for a lot of us. And I think in here in the Western world, if someone's going to claim to be a scholar or a teacher or take the responsibility of getting on a stage and speaking to thousands of people, you're going to look at them and be like, you can't afford to be ignorant and lazy of all the information that's available so that you can understand what you're teaching best, you know? Yeah. So that's where it's like, because you have access to all of this, you, you should right, have you can't a, just, a little wider depth into it.
0: Yeah. You, yeah. Because right. it, it's easy just to open it up and say, okay, sweet, what's this verse mean to me? Right. And-, right. and There is this pietistic tradition in evangelical circles of quiet time where you do that. You just open the Bible, you say what's this verse mean to me, and you go. Mm -hmm. And and there there are some great upsides to that approach. We just want to make people aware of the downsides of the approach too. Right, right. And that's and that's that's kind
1: of what I'm getting at too, is that if you're gonna it it kind of comes down to what do you intend to do with the text. If you're learning from it and something good is taking place in your spirit and your heart and it, okay. Now how you work that out and how you that apply that around you and your environment, that's where things can start getting called into question if it actually becomes harmful to others and all of a sudden like wait 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 this doesn't look like gospel now you know so it's that's that's kind of I think what we're trying to say here if someone's going to take a step forward though and say well I'm going to now apply this publicly I'm going to teach it or raise others in it I think then it does demand on someone to be like okay I need to read this thing a lot you know so I'm just not trying to open it and benefit I'm actually trying to understand what more is here and that's going to take you on then a road of discovery so I think that's more of that's what it calls yeah. you to, and I think this day and age, if you're in the Western world, you have that that opportunity pretty easily. So, right, right, yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly. That's my so, so that.
0: that's a great question, and and please follow up if, um, because I hope our answer was clear and unclear. Yeah, I think we were successful. <laughs> um, all right, Seth Erie is going to make an appearance in ten minutes Woo! as he gets off the bus. So I got ten minutes to answer one last question. All right, and then we'll get Sethie on. Maybe for a little uh, little blessing at the end. <laughs> um, uh, guys, thank you so much for listening and for trusting us with this stuff. Hi, Mike. I just listened to your podcast on Charlottesville and heard a little bit about the Nashville Statement at Vox on Sunday. Hmm. Your comments about how as Christians, we need to respond to the race issue by repenting for ourselves and our country and move forward by loving not only those of other races, but by loving white supremacists, our enemy totally makes sense. I'm having a hard time feeling the same way and seeing the sin as equal towards the LGBT community. I've had friends that are gay and can love them, but as you were talking about the Nashville Statement on Sunday, I was, wonder- I was sitting behind a gay couple and was having such a hard time not judging them and wondering how can they be Christians and be gay. I'm afraid I'm probably not the only Christian who feels this way. True. I would love to hear your thoughts on why you think this community is so stigmatized mm-hmm. and why it is more difficult to love and accept them than it is to recognize uh, that white supremacists need to be loved. This is a group I want to learn to love the way Jesus does, but I don't want to move into total acceptance of something that I've always been taught was wrong in God's eyes. Mm. Thank you so much for uh, wisdom and discernment. In the midst of all the craziness going on in our country, I'm grateful for a voice I can trust is listening to Jesus and how to respond. Well, <laughs> I, I hope. Ten minutes. I hope we're listening to Jesus. Well, no, I mean, what a what a wonderful question. So. So first of all, this happened at, at our church. So here's someone, this is exactly, this is exactly what we want to have happen. So here's somebody who's been taught that, um, that homosexuality is a sin and they're sitting behind a couple of gay folks at, uh, at church and, and they're, they're provoked into these big questions by simply sitting there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they're willing to admit. So I, I love that that you that you even admit this that you're having a hard time not judging them in ways that are different than uh, judging white supremacists uh, and recognizing the need to love them. You're actually having a harder time doing that with the gay community. Mm. And uh, so, I, so first of all, the fact that you're that honest is beautiful. Thank you for being so honest. Number two, uh, I do think a lot of people feel that way. Um, and, and, but this is exactly the kind of community we've hoped to uh, to create. A community where non-affirming people and affirming people sit together and work out how to live together. Um, so, so do I think your loving them has to mean... That you approve of uh, their behavior? And the answer, of course, is no. Although, you know, and we've spent times on what love means, right? Um, uh, In the same way that you would love a white supremacist but not approve of their behavior, you could love uh, members of the gay community without approving of their behavior. The, the counter, of course, will be that I've heard from uh, members of the gay community is that, well, you know, if you don't love this part of me, how can you love me? Because this is central to who I am and what I am. And, um, and you know, we can go down that rabbit hole in a bit. The the, the bigger question uh, for me is w- w- why why would you have in a congregation people on both sides of this issue? um and the answer is of course because that's what the the that's the beauty of of what jesus did when he was here the first time it's what it's the beauty of what jesus does now that he does confront us with our self-righteousness he does confront us with our our condemning judgment of other people um so so the fact that you're wrestling with this i think is a beautiful and wonderful thing and i love your honesty makes sense so far andy bear yep okay So why are they still so stigmatized and why is it more difficult to love and accept them than it is to recognize the white supremacists need to be loved? All right. Well, here's how I can't answer. I can't answer this outside of my own experience. Um, So, so let me start rambling and Andy redirect, redirect as we go. Uh, For me, I have, uh, I have struggled with sexual sin my whole life. Uh, in various ways and in various degrees according to the same scriptures that that we would point to to condemn um uh you know the actions of of gay sexuality um and, and again i'm not i'm not i'm not taking sides on this i'm just saying as i've walked this journey uh the first thing i've i've realized is that i'm always the biggest sinner in the room we've talked a lot about this when jesus commands us um, to to not judge, um, he he uses an image of a log and a speck, a speck of dust, and he says, you know, if you're going to correct your brother or sister, make sure to remove the log in your own eye before you dare remove the the speck in someone else's eye. So I'm to consider my sinfulness as a log, so it's that big, and I see I see that first. Before I notice the speck in um, in uh, other people's eyes. So, as a practical matter, uh, because I'm in touch with my own brokenness in this area, I I can sit and look at somebody else who's broken in this area differently than me, but nevertheless broken. And again, I'm I'm assuming for the sake of this discussion that the scriptures are clearly teaching this is wrong. Um, that, that those same scriptures teach me that, that my sin, my sexual, my sexual sin is a log, their sexual sin is a speck. So I'm literally the biggest sinner in the room. So what I would be doing in that situation is flooding my mind with, uh, with repentance and confession of all the ways I've fallen myself short of God's covenantal ideal of sexuality. If you hold the tr- traditional view, make sense? Yeah. So, so that's, so that's step towards non judgment number one. That's different for me for white supremacy because white supremacy, I don't think I've ever held that consciously. I have to actually dig to white privilege a little bit before I get in touch with that. With sexuality, I can get in touch pretty quickly with where my own brokenness is. And so so I'm sitting there reflecting on my own brokenness, the need for grace, the welcome I feel at the table. And, and that translates for me automatically and not wanting to restrict that welcome to anybody else. Mm-hmm. I then also process about how it is that I've grown over the course of my lifetime, what the prequels were in my life, that some of which led uh, to the struggles, some of which I've done myself, um, and realized that if you just looked at my snapshots at certain periods of my life, you'd come to vastly different conclusions about my spirituality than you would if you looked at the whole picture. Yeah. Make sense? Yes totally uh, and then the third thing i would i would say is that that uh, I want you to know that, that what you're wrestling with here is exactly what we hope people are, are wrestling with. Um, it's easy to talk about the gay, quote, issue in a vacuum. Uh, but when you're sitting next to real life people um, who are claiming to be followers of Jesus, who say they love Jesus and have been saved and rescued by Jesus, and who uh, are gay uh, on top of all of that, um, it's a much different conversation when there are flesh and blood people in the room. Why are you yawning, Andy?
1: <laughs> I've been up so early. <laughs> My kids, man. What? I need to know. And you're wearing a
0: shirt, and you're wearing a shirt that says "Sleepless," <laughs> yes, which that's right. You know, it's is is uh, is very fitting. Evidently, <laughs> thank you. So. So I'm used. To, I'm used to people yawning when I'm talking, Andy. But not from you. Yeah. You've at least always pretended to be interested.
1: Yeah. Well, this is, We have a time difference
0: now, though. So we're we're in different scenarios. So I know, but I, I should be the one tired. It's two forty two here. It's eleven forty two there. You should be like. Yeah. What time to did lunch. you wake up? I woke up at. Uh, went to bed around one. Got up at seven. Six, How about I went, you?
1: I went to bed at twelve, and I woke up at like five thirty six. Why you got to be trumping me like that? I just, I'm just saying. You... By, by what a half hour? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I know it's not even lunchtime. I I just need that. I need another food kick. I need another cup of coffee. I am just okay. Anyways, okay.
0: Yep. So, so, um, so part of the stigma. You know, when you ask why is that community still stigmatized, part of the part of the the deal has been um, because that's the most consistent sin we've preached against for the last twenty years. Yeah, right. It wasn't divorce. It wasn't premarital sex. Uh, unless you were consistent, and some you know some communities totally were, but uh, a lot of communities totally were not, mm-hmm. and so they created this double standard where homosexuality, that that sin issue was different than all the other sin issues. Yeah. You know, it was unnatural, it was an abomination, it was all these words attached to it, and so uh, of course it became stigmatized because it wasn't what the church was struggling with, right? But as it turned out, no, 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 it was struggling with that, right. and and so there's always this thing: the people that we have the hardest time loving it's usually because there's something in us um that that uh that we have a hard time loving in us too you know there's some sort of so so for me um i have a hard time loving judgmental people well as it turns out i can be quite judgmental um uh, towards those people and so here i am what's sparking me when i'm around judgmental people is is the same tendency I have to judge it towards other people, and I'm not saying that you're offended by sexual sin because you have sexual sin. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying I always ask that question. If something's sparking my judgment mechanism, I always want to turn inward and go, "Okay, so what? So what, what, what have what have I done? What have I engaged in? What have I contributed to? How how have yeah. I done this?" Uh, so that so that I'm aware of it I'm sensitive to it I'm offended by it uh, like, like like it isn't just happening in a vacuum there's something in me too uh, that needs to be addressed yeah um, and, and then I think people would say that the gay community stigmatized in the church uh, I think some would say I, I don't know that I agree with this I don't know enough to know that um, that they're reacting always to what they perceive to be as an agenda that's not just forcing tolerance but acceptance yeah. That, that unless you affirm uh, in all aspects um, gay identity, then uh, you really can't love somebody who's gay or you you're do, you're doing harm to somebody who's gay or whatever right and uh, and I think certainly at times that's true, but at other times i don't I don't imagine it has to be true right so I don't know man there there's like a whole bunch of thoughts um, i I feel like. I feel like, you know, these are the, the kinds of questions that the church should provoke.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know,
0: how come, how come that group, you know, gets in here too, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and Jesus tells this beautiful parable about day laborers that work one hour and they get paid the same amount of day laborers that have worked all day. Right. And the laborers are offended. Uh, the, the ones that started earlier, totally offended. Like, how can, how can, they only worked an hour. How come? And, but the, and, and then the owner says this beautiful thing. It's like, well, didn't, didn't I promise you the, the, the payment I gave you? Didn't, didn't at the beginning of the day, you agreed to work the whole day for one denarii, which was a day's pay back? you know, in Jesus's time. And, and like, well, yeah. Um, so, so the owner hasn't been cheap with them. The owner has just been extravagant with others. Yeah. Yes, And and, you know, that's always it's always interesting when that when that thing gets triggered, where when that when when Jesus's grace is great for everybody. But this community, it's always interesting because there's usually something behind that.
1: Right. Well, even there's a little bit of pointing to that in the uh, prodigal son story, too. Right. Once once he comes back and returns to the father, how the other son that is jealous that he's given him his coat and put a ring on him and threw him a feast and he's just like, wait, why, why all of a sudden is he getting to experience like almost his inheritance? And his father goes back to him and been like, you've, you've had this the whole hey, time.
0: Bring Sephi in. No, bring Sephi in. The bus is here. <laughs> Seth is the around. bus is here and the leaf machine that I've not seen. So what you do in suburban Columbus <laughs> is we have these things called leaves and they fall off of trees and you rake them to the curb, and then there's this big sucker thing, which is the technical term for it perfect that for sucks podcasting. up the leaves.
1: <laughs> what? Is it perfect. Can for you podcasting? hear it? Can you hear it? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, okay. I'll it's be like curious a, when I did get your recording if I can hear it on on your side. But yeah, it, it's a huge rumble. Yeah, I thought it was an airplane like flying
0: down your street. <laughs> oh, that'd have been awesome. <laughs> that would have been awesome. No, it's the leaf sucker thing, man. Yeah. All right. So so. Um, Oh, we got Sethy here. Hold on a second. Sethi Dad? Come here, buddy. Where are you? I'm right here, buddy.
1: Oh god We're doing
0: the Vox show. Um. You um, wanna say hi to everybody?
1: Um, can I hear
0: you? Hi. No, Seth. I know you can't I know you can't hear them, but no one's talking. It's just us talking, okay? Okay. So can you say, say May the Lord, the Lord bless you? Miss you. and keep you keep you shine his face. his face upon you upon you and give you peace.
1: Give peace. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. How was your day? Good. Good day? Yeah. You want to say hi to everybody? Hi. Hi people. He's waving. <laughs> I love it. And only I get to see ah! it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, do you miss your friend Sunflower?
1: Yeah, Fox Joe. Fox Joe. Yeah. You miss Sunny? Yeah.
0: Are we gonna get married to her someday? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've already negotiated. We're giving we're giving Andy two goats. Yeah, yeah. The dowry is explicit. The dowry so, I mean,
1: that's that's where it that's that's what's happening.
0: <laughs> well there you go. There you go, sports fans. Sethier doing a little benediction for us today. Anything you want to close with, Andy Bear?
1: Uh, nope, 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 nope. I think we're, I think we're pretty good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's the, the questions are amazing. Yeah. I mean, I just absolutely love them. So thank you guys so much for thinking through all this stuff with us. We're so privileged to be a part of your life. And, um, and so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, oh my goodness, in these days, may he give us peace. Until next time, brothers and sisters, have a great week. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast.
1: Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.